0: Hello everyone. This is Ray. Normally I would be in the episode with Monica as you are probably used to. Uh unfortunately I was not able to attend this interview which after editing through this um I realize is a real fucking shame cuz this is incredible. Uh the following episode's going to deal with some pretty heavy stuff. So I'm putting a content warning ahead of it for uh well we're discussing the Holocaust in some pretty real terms. And there's going to be some frank discussion of anti-Semitic violence. If you want to skip it because of this, completely understand. But I hope that you don't, because because honestly, this is I don't know if we can do interviews again after this. Um, I spent like five minutes trying to figure out how to intro this, and I think the best thing to do is just get out of the way and let you hear it. So here we go. <laughs>
1: here we are uh welcome to bonus experience um this is a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games normally it's a we but uh tonight it's just me ray is uh not available this evening uh and i am a queer woman speaking with authority about games and i am gonna swear probably maybe We'll see. We'll see how the mood takes me. Uh, and if you have a problem with that, you can die mad about it. Um, tonight we're doing another interview show. Uh, and normally it's the two of us and we're goofy and we're fun and we're full of bullshit. There are. See, I said I was going to swear. Um, <laughs> but today we're going to do something a little bit serious. Um, we have a, an interviewee here. Um, and this interview will likely contain a discussion of heavy topics. So um, if that's a thing you're sensitive about, consider this a content warning. So, Jessica, or should I call you Dr. Hammer?
2: Uh, please introduce yourself. Uh Jessica's great. Um okay. I am the I, I I my official title is kind of a mouthful. I'm the Thomas and Lydia Moran Assistant Professor of Learning Science at Carnegie Mellon University, uh where I teach game design and I also study games. Um but I'm here tonight wearing my hat as a game designer together with Moira Turkington. Um, we created a game called Rosenstrasse as part of the Warbirds Women's Game Design Collective. Um, and this game deals with, as you say, heavy topics, um, uh, uh, particularly it's a game about the Holocaust, because one of the things that we're interested in doing is unpacking and uncovering women's stories from history. And we thought that this was a particularly exciting story for us to tell.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, and so uh, I know that Mo also had the opportunity to be here, but she couldn't be here tonight, so I guess we're we're partnerless this evening.
2: Yep, that's right. Just you and me. <laughs> yeah,
1: just you and me. All right. So um, going off of that, how about you just tell us what Rosenstrasse is about? Absolutely. What's this game about?
2: So uh, Rosenstrasse is a tabletop role-playing game. It's for four players and a facilitator. And uh, it takes place in Berlin between 1933 and 1943. So you can tell by the time period that we're going to be dealing with some heavy stuff. Um, It follows the marriages between Jewish and quote unquote, you can't see it, I'm doing air quotes, Aryan (laughs) Germans um, who were married to one another. And there were a number of such marriages under the Reich. Um, And these uh, couples were in this really interesting liminal state Uh, They were affected by many of the um, persecutions against Jews, but they were relatively protected compared to other Jewish families because one of the partners in the marriage was not classified as Jewish. Um, So the game tries to explore, we call it 10 years of a marriage in three hours, um, exploring what happens to these marriages as the pressures from the Reich become more and more intense Um, And the game culminates with um, uh, the men in the Jewish men who were still living in Berlin. And there were Jewish men still living in Berlin in 1943, were rounded up. um, And that included about 1500 men who fell into this this category of uh, Jewish men in these mixed marriages. Uh, They were rounded up. They were um, imprisoned. Uh, they were being processed to be taken to Auschwitz. And the women in their lives spontaneously protested. And these protests are known as the Rosenstrasse protests. What's really extraordinary about this story is that this spontaneous protest, this woman-led protest, um, actually resulted in the Nazis releasing um, the bulk of these men. Uh, so these women just stared the Nazis in the eyes. And said, give us our husbands back. And the Nazis blinked.
1: Damn. I got I got a little choked up listening to hear you just listening to you telling me about that wow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it it's it's an unbelievable story. And um it's not a story you typically hear. And it's a story that complicates a lot of the traditional narratives about the Holocaust, uh, because it looks at the ways that Jews were deeply embedded in communities of both of other jews but also of non-jewish germans um and in, in this case in marriages with them and so it lets us explore um both the the ways in which these families were experiencing the same things that Jews were experiencing, right? Families with no non Jewish members were experiencing the ways that they were protected relative to those Jews and also the ways they were persecuted relative to families that had no Jewish members. So they're in this really interesting liminal state. Um, similarly, these women standing up and resisting is an amazing story. It's incredibly inspiring. But at the same time, um, the, one of the things the game explores is they only stood up when it was their own partners on the line so it Mm -hmm. is in this strange state of like incredible heroism and at the same time there's something um unsettling about the story right inspiring and unsettling at the same time and one of the lessons for us from making this game and playing this game running this game for people has been you don't want to wait until it's your family right and that's one of the things that we're hoping to explore with this game
1: wow so um thus far, Bonus Experience has only spoken with folks who are have created more traditional games using like dice or other randomizers to determine outcome. And from the pitch that Mo had sent out, um, you guys mentioned that Rosenstrasse is a freeform style game. Um so tell us about how your game is structured and like what a player can expect from that. Um I know I don't particularly know a lot about this kind of game, and I know our audience is is more games with randomizers mm-hmm. type game mm-hmm. players. So give us a little bit of a one-on-one about what that, one-on-one rather, about what that's. No problem. What that means. Yeah, look,
2: there are, there are different kinds of freeform games. So I, I just want to talk about some of the choices that Rosenstrasse makes, how it works and why we did it that way. Um, in sure, Rosenstrasse, there are eight pre-generated characters, four male, four female, and they're actually assigned in pairs. So you're assigned a male character and a female character, and you're playing uh, the wife or husband of another player right? So as well as the partner of a different player, right? So I might be playing, um, your wife and I might be playing Ray's husband, right? So I would have Mm -hmm. these two characters and they're totally, they're pre-generated. You have some room to interpret them, but, um, they are who they are.
1: Right. So they're, they're established roles. They're
2: established roles. That's right. And between the eight characters, they're exploring sort of different, um, uh, themes and relationships. So we have, you know, the romantic young lovers um, and we have the sort of intellectual secular couple, for example. And there's some interesting mm-hmm. contrast between those couples. As you play the game, um, it's not sort of an open-ended role-playing experience. The facilitator actually, um, there's a deck of cards that you draw through. Um and okay. the facilitator reads out text, like about what's going on in the history. And you read a scene and at the end of the scene, you'll get a role-playing prompt. So it's more like a sequence of role-playing scenes than like a um, more open ended, you know, sandbox style role-playing experience where you can initiate any scene that you want to. Um, You play out the scenes that are pre-created in the game. Um, And the scenes are resolved with negotiation between players and the facilitator's job is to keep that aligned with the themes of the game and with what's historically accurate, either by asking questions or by asking players to try again. Right. To say, well, that's not something that could have happened. Try another way.
1: Okay. So it, you, you use a facilitator as like a person who kind of keeps everybody on track.
2: That's right. Um, yeah, it's okay. Game Master-ish, uh, but- Ish, ish. Yeah. Right. <laughs> In that they're helping- resolve scenes but they're not inventing scenes the scenes come right okay. with the game yeah the the facilitator
1: is not playing the world in a more traditional GM that's right sense.
2: so they are playing the the non-player characters the npcs that occur throughout the game but okay. they're those the, that's structured they're told who they're going to play in each individual scene
1: okay cool
2: um so i thought i might just tell you a little bit about why we chose this approach to the design um yeah, great. So by generating these scenes, we actually deliberately wanted to limit the player's agency um, because player people living under the Reich did not have all that much agency to do things, to struggle against the social structure they were living in, right? This is thematically appropriate, um, and it's designed into the kind of scene we create. So, for example... Um, we have a scene that happens around Kristallnacht, right? The night of the broken glass. And uh, Kristallnacht was sort of a, 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 a night of violence, um, a night of fear. And um, we want to not, players should not have the opportunity to, for example, go out into the streets and have direct conflict with the people who are out there destroying Jewish businesses. Um, that's not plausible. It doesn't make sense. And it's not the kind of game this is. Right? This is not a game where you punch the Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, we designed the scene to evoke the kind of play that we wanted. So the Kristallnacht scene actually takes place the next morning, where there are two characters who are going to their business, because they, because the business owner, the official owner is the Christian partner in the marriage, the Aryan partner, um, their business has been spared, but their next door neighbor's business is destroyed. And they're faced with a choice about how they respond In that situation where they are okay but they could endanger themselves by expressing compassion for someone that they know right so it's a different kind of play and it helps us keep the play sort of what we call emotionally true as well as historically plausible
0: okay
1: yeah i i see that wow um yeah the 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 theme of resistance is incredibly powerful um and i think Critically important, especially in today's day and age. Um, Rosenstrasse also deals with heavy emotional subjects, uh, as we've been touching on lately through the beginning of this interview. Um, So let's discuss how best to approach these things safely and with respect.
2: So the most important thing is that Rosenstrasse an opt-in experience. We've actually spoken to. uh, teachers who are interested in using the game in the classroom, and what we've said to them is Rosenstrasse should never be mandatory. We don't ever want it assigned. We don't ever want to make anyone play. Um, and that is a critical piece of our design philosophy that people should come to the game knowing what it is, and they should come to it because they want something the game can offer. Um, beyond that, within the game, we have um, a few layers built in because it is dealing with heavy stuff. So uh, we have some workshops before the game. One of them is where we calibrate based on Mm -hmm. people's prior experience and prior knowledge about the Holocaust. We ask people to just share their relationship to the Holocaust. This helps people understand the Mm -hmm. personal experiences of the people that they're playing with. Um, It also helps the facilitator understand what they might need to be paying attention to during play. And we've had some... Um, quite amazing stories come out even just during the calibration workshop for example talking with um people about their family's holocaust history both descendants of survivors and descendants of perpetrators and recognizing that those experiences mm-hmm. all come to the table and at the same time we have people coming in saying oh yeah i learned about this in school when i was in eighth grade and that's it we have people coming in saying you know well um, there's no, you know, I never learned about this. I've never learned about this before. I know nothing. Um, because I come from a country where it's not, wow. t- <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. it helps with the pragmatics of running the game, but it also helps people be sensitive to one another as human beings. And that's actually one of the core principles that we go over at the beginning of the game is the people are more important than the game. Um, and that it's important to remember mm-hmm. that the human beings at the game in the, at the table are dealing with this by playing the game. We've got facilitator instructions for what to do um, if someone becomes distressed. We've never actually had to stop the game. That's an option. Um, uh, The only time we've ever had to stop a game was actually uh, to do some impromptu Holocaust education Um, mid-game. But we have had many instances where people have had to stop, take a rest, take a breather, go for a walk, and then come back. And they wanted to continue to play. Um, but the facilitator's instructions are really to support people and, again, never make it mandatory if the game has to stop early or if the facilitator has to step in um, and take one of the roles of the game because somebody wants to leave. Uh, those are both on the table as ways of responding to it. Um, I also want to say that part of what we've been doing is, you know, there are a lot of ways that this, that making a game on this topic could go wrong. So, We've been playtesting this game for a while. We've play tested at this point with more than 150 people in five countries. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have now run a, a sort of a formal research study with it. And um, that's really helped us in figuring out that if these are the right set of, uh, if this is the right set of approaches to deal with this question of how do you get people to deal with this really difficult subject um, and we, we go for the heart. I mean, we want people to be moved by this game. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm moved by you telling me about well, it. I <laughs> I, I hope you'll played, play because, because yeah. the play experience, this is one, you know, this is 1% of what it's like to play the game. <laughs> um, and this is something that, uh, you know, it, for for me, what's exceptional about this game is, look, I've been working in educational and transformational games in this space for 20 years. And mm-hmm. I have never seen players respond to a game I've made or a game I've studied in the way that players respond to Rosenstrasse. Um, it's just an incredibly powerful experience. We have people reaching out to us months, in some cases more than a year after they've played to tell us about how the game changed their life and specific things that they've done uh, from doing research about the Holocaust to getting more involved in activism to going to Berlin to visit the Rosenstrasse Memorial. Um, These are the kinds Mm -hmm. of changes that as a researcher, uh, you know, you, you dream about making that kind of change in a tiny percentage of your players. And we've had an enormous percentage of people reach out to us which tells me it's the tip of the iceberg for the people who didn't think to tell us about what was happening for them. Uh, and that's part of w- why um, uh, we want to try to get this game to a larger audience is just seeing the way that people respond to it with the group that we've played it with so far. Um, I
1: mean, I, I know I've been quiet, but I've just been sitting here like nodding. And <sighs> like, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> damn,
2: yeah. Wow. <laughs> which is not great audio. So I'm sorry to our editor. <laughs> sure. I can, I can, I mean, I can talk about, you know, I can, I can keep talking as long as you need me to about this game. It's really, um, it's very close to my heart (laughs) because uh, Mm -hmm. I come from a survivor family. I'm what they call a 3G, a third generation survivor. Um, And Mo and I talked about, and we actually dedicated the game to my grandmother uh, who survived five different camps, including Auschwitz, um, as well as the, uh, the, the death marches. And for me working on this game has been really personal and uh cathartic in a lot of ways that it's helped me grapple with the fact that um Jews have it helped me engage with the stories of Jews in the holocaust in a new way in a way where there's this um power and there's this intimacy and there's this sense of hope um You know, I went to Auschwitz when I was 18 uh, and I remember Mm -hmm. walking through those gates and feeling this sense both of uh, triumph and of of grief, right? triumph that I am alive and I'm here, but also this sense of just overwhelming loss. Um, And this game for me has been a way of excavating some of that loss and turning it into something New in the world um and you know turning that grief and that that sense of absence and filling it with something new uh you know uh, uh, new 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 life from the ashes, so it's been a very personal experience for me as well, making this game and watching the way that people run to it yeah I mean, from what you were just telling me about like
1: your play testing and the player response, it sounds like you're succeeding tremendously yeah. uh so far right <laughs> and
2: um it's it's incredible yeah. and it's also you know it's a heavy responsibility um both working in in this space right dealing with these sort of heavy topics um but also you know when you're mm. transforming people's lives, there's no guarantee that it's always gonna be for the better and um part of why I do the professional work that I do is because I think that by um, being a mindful designer and by understanding your design space and by building on existing um, game design research and existing learning theory and Holocaust education research, you know, you can up the odds that your game is going to be successful and that your game is going to induce the kinds of transformations that you want. But it's game design, which means there are no guarantees. With game design, you're always giving over some power to your players. Um, And when you know that your game is is um heavy and powerful uh Mm -hmm. you know that's a responsibility too so i've put everything that i've learned in uh you know 20 years of professional design and research experience into this game um because i think that that's that's the 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 sort of responsible thing to do when you're dealing with this kind of material and still it's no guarantee
1: yeah i mean it's it's
2: terrifying
1: as a a designer of less heavy subjects to just be like well that's
2: right i've turned it loose (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-huh and and that's part of why we need some of the design decisions that we did right (laughs) why do we have this structured with scenes because there are some decisions that we're willing to turn our players loose on and there are some that we're not right um you know and there are a number of sort of um uh failure states that people could fall into right oh you know let's beat up the Nazis, um, you know, and that could turn into, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, I won the game and saved my character. So like, why couldn't the people who lived through this just do that? Right? So the, the game repercussions actually have implications for people's understanding of history. Um, but we've actually been seeing this working in the mm-hmm. other way that people will say after the game, like, oh, okay, I really get it. They really didn't have options. Like, you can't just leave. You can't just, right? And that idea of removing the just from the way people talk about the Holocaust was so powerful for our players, but also for, for, uh, for, for me and Mo to watch. I'm also thinking
1: about it from a perspective of like, you know, I like to think of myself as a righteous person who does the right thing, but then like, even in real life, you sometimes find yourself face down with a situation where like, oh, maybe I should have stepped in. Maybe I should have done that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really kind of moving me from that perspective to be in that headspace of like, right. what would I do if I was married to someone who this was happening to? You know, would I have the would I have the courage in real life to actually stand up to that? That's right. Right. And like everybody thinks that
2: they, they do but do you really? (laughs) One of the great things that we've been looking at is we've been working with Nathan Stoltzfus in the history. He's a professor of Holocaust studies in the history department at Florida State University. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he sort of explores in his research on Rosenstrasse, right, that this is his professional work, Mm -hmm. um, uh, is the idea that actually the women in these marriages they could have left their husbands and made their lives a lot easier by not being in these marriages to Jewish men anymore. And every day that they chose to stay in these marriages um, was actually practice for them at not knuckling under. And that that Mm -hmm. practice can look very ordinary. And that's one of the Mm -hmm. things that, that that he said about our game, right? Is that many of the scenes that we have are deliberately ordinary. And he was really excited about that choice, right? That it's about... How do you, um, how do you feed your family? Um, You know, what happens when you need to move into a smaller apartment? What happens when you're not allowed into the bomb shelter because your husband is Jewish? And if you stay with him, how does that prepare you for when you're asked to do something bigger? Um, And one of the fascinating things is that we see players when they finally have the chance to stand up and, participate in the protest as their characters they feel this incredible sense of like relief like oh finally we get to do something um (laughs) and right finally we get to we get we we get to resist we get to say no and that's something that they talk about taking with them out of the game as well that sense of like ah god just doing something that feels so good it does it does it does (laughs) Sorry. right (laughs) yeah and we've had people say things Ah. like you know, exactly what you were talking about. I don't know what I would do in this situation if this were me in real Mm -hmm. life. My character was much braver than I am. And then they come back to us later and said, by the way, I went to a protest because of your game. And to me, that's really, um, that's what we want people to do. We want them to find out about themselves. We want them to practice. We want them to try on these feelings and we want them to have this story of these couples right of the women who protested and of the men who endured the jewish men who endured captivity um and survived um we want them to have these Mm -hmm. stories to look up to I was I was back to solemn nodding again, which again not not great audio. I should have warned you how much solemn nodding there would be in this. (laughs) Right, right. I
1: should have have put us. I should put in the beginning not not so much a content warning as Monica
2: spends the whole interview solemn nodding. Right. Right. Well, you know, and it feels strange (laughs) to me, You know, to me, it's that it's that doubling, right? That I felt when I walked, you know, under that Arbeit macht frei sign, um, is you know there's both the sense of like yeah this is really solemn and serious but at the same time right i feel the breath in my chest i feel the laugh in my throat like that joy that living joy being alive and being able to work on this and study this and play this game with people um it is it's worth laughing and it's worth being joyful and being serious doesn't have to preclude these moments of relief um we've actually designed some of that into the game because uh, first of all, unrelieved tragedy is both tedious and ineffective. Um, yeah. but also that you know, even under the Reich, people had lives. people went on living as long as they were alive. and we want to capture that as best we can and make you feel that these were real people with real lives. They're actually all base all eight characters are are based on real people. They're composite characters because we wanted to be respectful to the memory of the people who lived this. But mm-hmm. we want you to feel that sense of like, life is, right? Even in the face of death and despair and destruction, people go on living.
1: Yeah. So with that more solemn nodding, ringing endorsement, how about you tell our audience where they can pick this up and how they can support
2: this. Absolutely. Rosenstrasse will be available on Kickstarter starting February 18th. Um, you can visit unrulydesigns.com. That's U-N-R-U-L-Y designs.com slash Rosenstrasse. You can also follow the Unruly Designs page on Facebook. After the Kickstarter period closes, we'll make sure that there's still ways for people to pick up the game. Um, If you're interested in my own research on educational and transformational games, the best way to find my scholarly work is to search for my name, Jessica Hammer, on Google Scholar. And that actually also includes some of our work on Rosenstrasse that you can find there. Okay. And if you want
1: more bonus experience, you can find the show at bxpcast.com. And we are, as always, part of the Misdirected Mark Network. Um, if you want to shoot us a request uh, for an interview, if you want to ask us questions, uh, if you want to ask us questions that we will then forward to Dr. Hammer, <laughs> <laughs> you can send them to bonus at at gmail.com. Um, if you want to shout out at us on Twitter, if you want to follow us there, keep up with us. That's where we do all our updates and send out news and whatnot. You can follow us at bonus um, And if you want to follow me personally, don't know why you would, but if you want to, I'm at Sun. And even though she's not here, if you want to follow Ray, she is at Ray, R-A-I
2: underscore Cole. So, anything else you want to share? Uh, No, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Hopefully at some point you'll get a chance to talk to Mo about the game because she has a whole other set of brilliant things to say. Um, Until then to be continued i hope well hopefully we'll get to talk to you again hopefully
1: we'll also get to talk to mo maybe at some point we'll get to sounds talk to great. both of you maybe about another game all right yeah uh, normally here's where ray yells at everybody to get out but she's not here so i'm i'm gonna i'm not gonna yell at you you can just and remember change it if you want to
0: Thanks for listening. Bonus Experience is written and produced by Monica and Ray and is a member of the Misdirected Mark podcast network. For more like us, check out She's a Super Geek, an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. Our cover art and logo are by Nino Studios. Our theme song is Reuse Noise with the Light by CDK and is used under the attribution non-commercial Creative Commons license. This podcast confers the benefits of a long rest.